Everything under your roof is important, so make sure your roof is up to the job. For over 20 years, SureTop Roofing has been covering triangle homes and businesses. SureTop Roofing is certified with all of the major shingle manufacturers, providing a 50-year non-prorated warranty. SureTop Roofing has estimators, project managers, and design consultants on staff, guaranteeing superior service. Visit SureTopRoofing.com. SureTop Roofing has you covered. Sure Top Roofing presents the Carolina Contractor with your host, Donnie Blanchard. Brought to you by GAF Roofing, Shingles and Materials. We protect what matters most. And Mid-Atlantic Roofing Supply in Garner, a roofing supplier with a different approach. And we're moving into football weather, too. It's a great time of year. Welcome to the Carolina Contractor Show. I'm Eric Smith with your hostess with the Moses, Donnie Blanchard of Sure Top Roofing. How you doing, Donnie? I'm doing great today. How are you? I'm doing very good. Who's going to win the Super Bowl? Uh, I hadn't thought that far ahead yet. I don't know. I'll, I'll, um, need to do some more fantasy football research and get back to you on that. All right. We'll see if we can get an answer from you by the end of the show. <laughs> Last week's show of the Carolina Contractor was just answers Donnie had for questions you submitted to the website, thecarolinacontractor.com. You can click on a button there to submit any questions you have. And if you want to listen to past shows, you can find information there. And of course, find out information about Donnie and SureTop Roofing. The website address for that is SureTopRoofing.com. Now, in honor of football season, me and Donnie be thrown around uh, footballs in the studio also doing cup checks and pouring Gatorade over each other. Maybe we <laughs> At won't. the end. Yeah. yeah. At the end, if if the show is a winner. But in the meantime, we're going to be talking about generators today. There's all sorts of generators you can use for your house. And a lot of people use generators for uh, recreation when they go out camping and stuff. Right. They're useful for just about anything. We keep one on the truck. So if we don't have power on a job site, we're not dead in the water having to a homeowner come home to unlock it just to get us a, an outlet to use. But yeah, definitely generators are something that you don't really think about until you absolutely need it. So now is a good time to prepare. Hey, Donnie, um, your opinion on glamping. Do you know what glamping is? Okay. Glamping is people who go out camping, but they take generators and motor homes oh. and they sleep in real beds and have Glamorous showers. Glamorous camping. Exactly. I get it. You got an opinion on that? Uh, it just kind of defeats the purpose, you know. Right. I, I'd, I'd like to get away from some of those things. And my ideal of a good campsite is no cell phone or cell service, you know, and uh, not all the frills. I get enough of that in day-to-day life. Preach it. But a generator is handy. Donnie said don't wait for an event that requires a generator to think about getting one. Of course, with hurricane season going on, people see a hurricane is coming to their neck of the woods, and then they head out a couple days trying to find a generator, and you're not going to have any luck. Go ahead and prepare now because some of the things we're going to talk about later is what you need to look for in a generator. Not every generator fits every need. And on top of that, what are you going to power with that generator? It's not a pull it, start it, and plug anything you want into it, especially with today's electronics. Right. The one thing that we like to tell folks when they're deciding on what type of generator or a size, rather, weigh out your necessities versus your comfort. You can have more power than you need to run all of your necessary appliances, and that that will allow you to run, say, an upstairs and a downstairs heat pump at the same time. Whereas uh, if you just go for necessity, you probably just want to keep the freezer, refrigerator, at least a couple of fans and maybe some gas logs running, and that doesn't normally require as large of a generator. And the coffee pot. So let's go over the, the basic styles of generators. There's um, home standby generators. Mm-hmm. These are the big units that can basically power your entire house. There's portable generators, and they come in various sizes. We're going to use the technical terms large, medium, and small. <laughs> If you want to write those down and keep notes, there will be a quiz at the end of the show. And then there's inverter generators and electrical generators, and we'll explain that near the end of the segment. Let's start off with the 
home standby generators. You got some information on that, Don, I do. Right? Well, so, of course, these are the most expensive version, and these typically run off of natural gas or propane. So if you're in the city, natural gas may be an option. If you're in the country, more than likely propane will be your only option. Doing a little bit of research, uh, it used to be kind of complicated to switch back and forth between fuel sources. So if you were at a house, say that you didn't have natural gas when you originally got the generator and it became available down the road, it's uh, pretty easy to switch over the fuel type and it doesn't require a different unit or anything like that. Hmm. The main thing that you want to know is is that you should contact a licensed electrician. Right. And when you look online and, and you price shop for these things, of course, they're going to be five, $6,000 when you look them up online, but you don't take into account all of the work that the electrician has to do. So normally for one of these big deals, you're probably looking somewhere in that ten dollars to $12,000 range turnkey when everything's finished and installed. Well, because one of the things that people don't think about is those big home standby generators you don't just set on the grass right you might be required to put in a concrete slab some folks prefer that it's as far away from the house as possible for noise reasons and uh, the farther you get away that drives the price up a lot because the power cable that they use to feed the house gets pretty expensive and so you want to keep it snugged up to the house if that's an option for you generac is the big name and i spoke to someone from generac this week about some of the promotions that they're doing now and they told me that generac accounts for seven out of ten standalone generators so they've got a, a pretty big market share there and they're a really good brand there's some other folks out there but uh, one thing i was impressed by the folks at generac and i didn't know this but they actually respond after catastrophic events by sending teams of folks which are mechanics service guys uh, and just reps from their company out to the storm area to see if they can repair generators, help folks facilitate new generators. And they don't just take that, you know, they give a little bit. And it's always nice to hear that. Another thing that they do, and an electrician explained that how this works, but when they do a new generator setup, they register the serial number with Generac directly and they keep that serial number on file forever. But that serial number submitted will generate a code that it takes to start the generator up. So in the situation where something were ever stolen and they tried to relocate that, they couldn't get the generator started without sending that same serial number in for a new code, and Generac would in turn show up that it's stolen. Brilliant! I never even considered that people would steal a home standby generator that big and how they're hooked up, but I guess people steal AC units and yeah. stuff all the time. Oh, yeah, for sure. All right, the other type of generator is the portable generator. Most people are familiar with these just by look. They usually have a couple wheels on them and a way to carry them. They run on uh, typically gasoline. You have to store large quantities of fuel if you are planning to use this for a long period of time. A fuel stabilizer, because if you have fuel sitting in the tank, Mm -hmm. or you have a five-gallon or mm -hmm. a couple five-gallon gas tanks, you don't want to leave those out in a storage shed or something for six months without using them. The price point is a lot better than mm -hmm. the home standby units because those by design are made to power, in some cases, your entire house, at right. least all the major appliances, and you said the HVAC. These portable generators can power some of those things, mm -hmm. but they can't power your whole house. You can power things like a refrigerator. They're easier to transport. You can roll them out to the side of your house. You can uh, hook up a 240-volt line. Mm -hmm. They're good for outdoor events and, and camping, too, if you've got a vehicle right. to get the mid-size ones through. I think through. that's the advantage of that portable deal is that you can use it for camping. If you have a job site, you can take it out to the job site and then just store it back in your garage when you're all wrapped up there. Now, um, you have one like that size. That, that's the kind I have. It's around a $2,000 unit, and it will power just about everything we need after a storm. The one thing I did that was a good move a couple years ago is I had my electrician come in and actually pre-wire an outlet on the outside of the house. And we have a brick house, so it's always nice to have the generator on the other side of the brick wall, and that cuts down on some of the noise. They wire it directly to your panel, so you can flip a few breakers and crank the generator up after a loss of power, and you're pretty much up and running 
within just a few minutes. Uh, the one thing I want to let our listeners know is that when you have that electrician do that, go ahead and have him give you a, a cord with the appropriate plug because the plug that goes on the outside of the house is not just a standard plug and you'll need something that will be the appropriate connection between the generator and the house and that's something that's easy enough for the electrician to provide. So basically, correct me if I'm wrong, Donnie, you lose power, you can wheel out this generator and unlike most cases where people will run extension cords, mm-hmm to power things in their house, you literally plug the generator directly into the side of your house. Yes. And then you can go inside and hit a breaker. Yep, that's it. And uh, it will backfeed into the panel. And then whichever breakers you do have flipped on that run the appropriate appliance or say, um, you know, you had a few ceiling fans, a uh, refrigerator and a freezer are basically the only things that we try to leave on. We had several windstorms and an ice storm come through in consecutive years where we live. So I bought this really nice generator and only use it maybe one time because mm-hmm. all the power lines that were subject to de- being damaged have all been replaced with brand new stuff. So I uh, bought the generator in anticipation of more of the same. And in fact, we haven't really needed it at all, I'm, I'm pleased to say, in a couple of years. Yeah, my neighborhood has underground power. Uh-huh. So we rarely lose it. As a matter of fact, we did uh, like a week ago, mm-hmm. one of the longest times without power since I've been, I live in Wilson, was I think we were out of power for an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. We aren't in a situation where we need a generator same, the same way. That does remind me, though, when you're talking about having a breaker system set up and knowing what to run, mm-hmm. it's very important to know what you can run off your generator. It is not as simple as, well, I'm just going to run an extension cord, put on a power strip, and plug everything in. Is that how I sound to you? Well, we'll talk about that later (laughs) during our review. But um, the thing you need to be careful of is knowing exactly what you're going to run on it. So don't buy a generator and then decide, okay, I'm out of power, Mm -hmm. I'll plug stuff in. You can find the wattage of an appliance or something you're mm-hmm. going to use. Usually there's a label, say, on the back of your fridge and compare that with what the generator's maximum wattage output is. Mm-hmm. So if you're using, uh, you want to use 3000 watts worth of energy to plug your generator into or to plug into your generator, but it's only 2000 watts, right. it's going to trip the fuse on it. It's not going to work. So mark down somewhere. Hey, my fridge uses 600 watts. I know the, Smaller appliances combined for 400 watts. I'm going to use these three lamps. Right. Do the math ahead of time. Also, a lot of the ratings of the power is based on half use, not full power. So if you have a 5,000 watt generator and it says fuel lasts for six hours, that usually means if it's only using 2,500 watts of that power. Now, another type of generator is called an inverter generator. This is kind of cool. Basically, what it does is it outputs AC current like most conventional generators, but the current is then converted to DC voltage, AC-DC, devil horns did, and then it's inverted back to AC voltage, hence the name inverter generator. The advantage of inversion is it maintains very constant flow of current to whatever you have plugged into it. Other advantages of inverter generators is they're small and compact, they're light, they're easy to pick up, they're easy to store. You can put it on a shelf or you easily fit it into a car or a boat or an RV, once again, for glamping, for those of you who do that. And they're also very quiet. You can have one of these smaller inverter generators sitting right next to you and carry on a normal volume conversation. They do cost more, but it's something to consider if you're looking for that type of generator. Right, exactly right. Uh, jumping over to the small generators, a lot of these are common sense, but I'll go over these anyway. These are smaller, lighter, easier to move, uh, a little quieter because it's not as much of an engine to run. But these are great for you know camping or anything you want to do outside of the house that may be outside of the span that an extension cord 
could cover. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of times these go on sale. So I tell folks, if you're in the market for a generator, just search online to see who has the best deal. And, and of course, do your homework on consumer reports or however you research products that you buy. And one thing that I will add on the small generators is the representative from Generac that I spoke to earlier said that if you do install a whole home system, I think this is a promotion they offer for a couple of months now, and they will give you a small generator for free, a $500 value. So, cool. you know, if you're going to spend 10, 12 grand, you're getting 500 back. It's a little bit of incentive there. And then you can go glamping, as we talked about glamping. earlier. One thing about generators I do want to mention, we're not experts about it, me or Donnie, uh, but you know some of the, as you refer to, common sense. You want to keep generators outdoors. They don't come indoors. You don't bring them in your garage. Mm-hmm. Some people will put them in a mudroom or a laundry room. Right. You can't do that with a generator. You want to keep them away from your house or any other structures because they're generators. They have heat. They have fuel involved. You're going to have to consider refueling them. You're going to have to consider fuel storage. You've got to prepare ahead of time to make sure you have enough fuel to run if you're going to be out in the woods for a few days or if you think you're going to be without power for a few days. And oh, this hurts to say it. Read the manual mm. and follow the general safety guidelines. Consumer Reports has several articles that are great about how to pick a generator, the best generator for what your needs are. So if you want to check out that, you can find it online. Just to recap, everybody, we are talking about generators, what you want to consider before buying. And, uh, of course, cost comes into play. But uh, you want to weigh out necessity versus comfort. Like Eric mentioned, you want to tally the wattage that you absolutely need and then go shopping for your generator. And there are several places online that will give you a a general tally if you want to plug in the appliances that you have in your particular house. But if you have a situation that you'd like for us to take a look at or talk about, please reach out to us at thecarolinacontractor.com and just submit that in the form of a question and I'll get back to you on it if I can be of any help. And if I needed a generator for just a few items because I was out of power, if it was warm, give me a fan. If it's winter, give me a space heater. Mm Mm-hmm. One light in the coffee machine, and I'm fine. Right. One thing we didn't mention uh, through the segment is that gas cans are always in super high demand after a storm. So you may spend as much as a day just to get the fuel containers you need to Mm -hmm. power your house for a few days. And that's just one of those things that can definitely be headed off and prepared for ahead of time. Exactly. All these things you want to do in advance. You don't don't want to wait for trouble to be just a few days away and try to go out and find the things you need because it's very hard to do that. Coming up next on the Carolina Contractor Show, we're going to be answering questions from listeners just like you. You got a question? Anything about your house, uh, inside, outside, on top, below it, around it? We're going to try to answer those. Submit your question to thecarolinacontractor.com. We'll be back with more of the Carolina Contractor presented by Sure Top Roofing. Everything under your roof is important, so make sure your roof is up to the job. For over 20 years, Sure Top Roofing has been covering triangle homes and businesses. Sure Top Roofing is certified with all of the major shingle manufacturers, providing a 50-year non-prorated warranty. Sure Top Roofing has estimators, project managers, and design consultants on staff, guaranteeing superior service. Visit SureTopRoofing.com. Sure Top Roofing has you covered. Welcome back to the Carolina Contractor with your host, Donnie Blanchard, presented by Sure Top Roofing. In honor of football season starting, special guest today on the show, Mac Brown. Mm. Coach, not true. Not true? No. Okay. No. Well, Michael Jordan's coming in, right? Uh, I don't know what kind of connections you have, but not on my watch. All right, so we're just going to go with questions then, evidently. That'll work. You kind of spoiled my ideas here, Donnie. I thought you had some hookups here. I thought you had some hookups I didn't know anything about. All right, again, you got a question for Donnie. He loves answering them. Anything about your house, the roof, the floor, the walls, the sides, inside, outside, around your house, 
He loves to answer the questions. And number one, we currently have wood overhangs that require painting every few years, and we want something with less maintenance, but we don't like the look of vinyl. What can we do? A couple different things. Um, people have the misconception that wrapping your facial boards falls under vinyl, but actually that's a, a trim coil product, so it's an aluminum that you're actually wrapping, so it, you don't really get the same vinyl texture. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have something that's high maintenance, and, and that's certainly the cheapest way to go about the fix, but if you go that route, you want to make sure that you get the baked-on finish for the trim coil. The painted version of the exact same thing will oxidize, and when you walk up to your house and on the gable end, you see a bunch of uh, grayish, looks like spotty paint where it's almost been painted over. That is the paint system failing. So there are two types. The other thing that I recommend and I'm a big fan of is PVC or AZEC. Now, the drawback for both of these products is that they come in white. But if your house already has white trim, mm-hmm. then it's a no-brainer. And the maintenance for this is pressure washing, but still a lot less work than painting. Uh, PVC pioneered the way for this product, and AZEC is somebody who came on uh, a few years later, and AZAC is a little bit cheaper. They're both pretty pricey in the big picture, but I would just recommend to these folks that you go on AZEC Exteriors. It's A-Z-E-K, and they have all the different profiles available on the website. And then for PBC, uh, the big distributor in the southeast is Royal Building Products, and if you just Google that, should give you plenty of options there. Question number two submitted to the Carolina contractor. We want to do an addition to our home. What is the process for figuring out how much square footage we can add. Well, the first thing is to talk to the local environmental health department. So if you're on a a well or a septic, for instance, they base the lateral lines on how many bedrooms that house has. So depending on the type of addition you want to add, you want to check with the environmental health folks. Uh, Beyond that, uh, your setback requirements through like a building inspections would be the next uh, place to check. And you want to see what the setback requirements are for your neighborhood or for your municipality. Cup check. (laughs) The last thing you want to check is what's underground. So if there is some sort of utility or water line under there, of course, uh, rerouting that may be as big of an expense as the addition itself. So that's something that you don't want to put the cart before the horse and get going on a project. I recommend everybody call uh, Uloco. It's uh, the mm-hmm. service where they mark the underground, and, and you don't necessarily have to have work taking place for that to be provided as a service, but they don't charge anything. You may have to wait a little while, but get get your yard marked out if you just want to see what you're working with and don't want to get too far into the planning phase. And the last thing you'll need is a set of plans. You don't want to waste a contractor's time by just asking him for a general pricing. It's it's better to keep everybody on the same page, and the process will go so much smoother if you just hire a local architect to draw up some plans. And you know whether you move on the project now or in a year from now, that's something that you can hold on to until you're ready. The other advantage of calling you loco is not only only safety. It's because if you cut it, you pay to fix it. That's it. All right. Our next question for Donnie submitted to the CarolinaContractor.com is the following. I live near Fuquay Varina and I recently watched my neighbor's house being re-roofed. The roofer did not install any leak barrier at the eaves or the rakes and they did not install any starter strip at the eaves. So they did install starter trip at the rakes. In this regard and for this area, is there a building code requirement? Okay. This has about four different answers, but I'm going to try to go quick. Um, all right. Well, so first of all, a rake and an eave. A rake is uh, the triangular portion of your boxing. When you're looking at your house and your roof kind of makes a triangular shape, that's the rake. Okay. The eave is all the overhang portion where the gutters are attached. And so the eaves are the horizontal and the rakes are usually at an angle. Um, so what they're saying is this particular contractor did not install ice and water shield around the full perimeter. Um Basically, ice and water shield around the full perimeter is a northern thing. It's not required, but we offer it as an option whenever we price a roof out. 
I think if you were going to do either or, I would prefer it over the eaves. And the goal is an ice and water shield comes in three foot width. So the goal is to go from the outermost point of the roof and extend beyond the inner portion of the outer wall, if that makes sense. So three feet should cover the overhang span. And then that ice and water shield will lap over into the what would be the heated space if you were to draw a line straight down. Uh, however, that is not a code requirement. That's just something that they recommend if you're in the right climate zone. And uh, what we are required to install ice and water shield or a leak barrier on is in the valleys. So anywhere there's a valley, we put ice and water shield directly against a plywood, and then we cut smaller pieces of that same product and put it around any roof protrusion. That's not a requirement. It's just cheap insurance and something that we do. Uh, regarding the starter strip, they are not required by building code to do starter strip on the rakes. The eaves, they are. But uh, for our warranties and everything we talk about, for instance, GAF, they give us a 130-mile-an-hour wind rating when we install starter strip on the rakes and the eaves. They word that as a full perimeter starter, and that, coupled with six nails per shingle, gets us that enhanced wind warranty. So to answer your question, not a building code requirement, but a heavy recommendation. And for those of you new to the Carolina Contractor Show, you're like, man, this this Donnie Blanchard guy knows a lot about roofs. That That's because he owns SureTop Roofing. And SureTop Roofing is a great resource because you can contact them and they can come out and answer any questions you have or if you have problems with your roof or if you need a new roof, SureTopRoofing.com is where you can start there. Next question for our Carolina contractor. Our church built a fellowship hall seven years ago and it has three tab shingles. Now the sanctuary needs a new roof and we were advised to use an architectural shingle what do you recommend? Well, I agree. Ex- maybe explain the two. Right. I agree. The architectural shingle uh, almost has double the lifespan. I wouldn't say that that three tab is going to hurt anything. And I always advise folks, roofing is such a big ticket item that you want to max that lifespan out. So if it's only seven years old, typically that's a 20 to a 25-year shingle with the three tab, and it's probably okay. The good news is that you can get an architectural shingle in that same line, in that same color. So you can still make everything match, but no-brainer on the architectural. Um, this is a commercial application, so I'll just kind of give you the commercial warranty uh, which is a little bit different than the residential. But if you go with an architectural shingle and you use a certified contractor, uh, for instance, we're Master Elite certified with GAF. So our certification and the method we install these will actually get you a 40-year um, warranty. And that 40-year that warranty on the architectural shingle is non-prorated for the first 20 years, mm. which is really cool because if you have a defective shingle, chances are that that imperfection or uh, defective characteristics going to show itself in the first five years. Mm-hmm. So 20 non-prorated is really strong, whereas that 25-year three-tab is prorated right out of the pack. And with these particular folks, I went out and took a look, and everything looks okay for now. But um, I pointed out that the south-facing slope of this fellowship hall is going to be the first thing to go. So they may only get you know, 15, 18 years out of the southmost-facing slope of that uh of that three tab shingle and um, just told them to keep an eye on that. They start seeing shiny fiberglass, probably time to call somebody out. But uh, the only other thing I can think to comment on is the cost difference. Um, the The labor is the exact same on both. It's about 12 to $15 per square, depending on the shingle type to upgrade to that architectural. So like I mentioned before, it's a no brainer. The uh, last question for today, before we wrap up today's uh, football theme show, I'm open. <laughs> uh, submitted to the CarolinaContractor.com. We heard a show where you discussed insulation types. What do you recommend for an older home, and how do you check what we currently have? I recommend an energy audit 
one of the things that, that if you have an older home that's probably a given is that it doesn't have sufficient insulation. And by sufficient, I mean what would meet the building code requirements for today. Mm-hmm. But something I stumbled across, and I actually posted this to the carolinacontractor.com website, Duke Energy does free energy audits. Now, I don't know exactly what that entails, but they have a 1-800 number on there. You can call, schedule them to come out, and if you qualify, they said they change your light bulbs out to LEDs. And I just think that's a really neat service for them to offer because they make money the more power they sell. So mm-hmm. it, it tells me that they have sustainability in mind and they're thinking about the big picture. And it's always nice to know that those folks are out there being proactive. I also think they bring out Christian Leitner to change the light bulbs that are like really Ooh. high that they can't reach. Yeah, if they it's do all that, tied in with Duke. get me an autograph. Mm-hmm. So I would recommend that energy audit. The other thing that you can do with a good visual inspection is, you know, go up top in your attic and see what you have up there. And, you know, you can always snap a picture of the insulation with maybe a tape measure stuck down in there and send that to us. And I can give you a comment on what you have. But what you're looking for overhead in the attic is an R38 or something thereabouts. The code was R30 before they upped it to the 38. So if you have R30, that's probably okay. Insulation is just the cheapest thing you can do that has the, the quickest payback. And so I would recommend, you know, sticking a tape measure down in there. And if you have blown in insulation, for instance, you should have around 14, 15 inches to equal that R38. Underneath the house, that's a different R value because, of course, heat rises and more important to have more insulation overhead. But under your house, an R19 should be the minimum that you have. And normally an R19 is about six inches thick. So chances are your floor joists or two by tens or two by twelve, so you've got ten, twelve inches or so. About half that cavity should be full of insulation. And another side note is the paper should always face up. The rule is that the face or the paper side always goes towards the heated space of the house. So if it's up top, of course the paper would go down, and if it's under the house, paper goes up. It's a simple thing, but I stick my head under crawl spaces sometimes, and you see the paper down, and you know that's a big mistake, and nobody's ever been told any different. So uh, what you're trying to control with this insulation, though, it's all about Heat transfer and airflow. So if you're thinking about your house is taking on heat in the summertime and then your house is trying to retain the heat in the winter, it's just a a game of knowing where your source of, of supplies and returns are, where that returns pulling air and that energy audit I commented on, especially if you hire somebody privately and local. They come out and do the blower door test and the duct blaster, and it really gives you a wonderful picture of where your heat loss and gain is happening. My dad used to have a duck blaster when we go hunting. Yep. That's awesome. Total different duck blaster. Hey, real blaster. quick, Donnie, is there, does it matter what time of year to get insulation done or is any time no, of year fine? I mean, about like Ruth's fall in the spring, you want to, mm-hmm. uh, the most extreme heat and the most extreme cold. I mean, you can do it anytime, but it, like we were talking about preparing with a generator, this is something that you would be wise to prepare for now. And, uh, subcontractor availability, I mean, that comes into play just a little bit. And right. folks always charge a little bit more when they're really busy. So, you know, if you can wait, talk to your folks about maybe working you in when they have some availability and, and work on those numbers. It's something that's not very expensive to have done. Very good. Now, if you have questions, go to the carolinacontractor.com website. Submit yours there. You can also listen to past shows, and Dinah will post the subjects and topics we've talked about today, including generators. Hopefully, that will generate a response. Ah, nice. Thank you. I'll be here all week. <laughs> now, if you have a question about your roof, contact Donnie and Suretop Roofing, the website by the same name, SureTopRoofing.com. He comes out there. They'll look at your roof. They'll give you free estimates. They'll give you suggestions, and if you need something fixed, or your whole roof replaced, SureTopRoofing.com is where you want to start. Again, Donnie can come out to your house and look at your roof, and what's the best thing you can tell him? Roof looks great. Call me next year. And we will see you next week.
Thanks for listening to the Carolina Contractor. Presented by Sure Top Roofing. Brought to you by GAF Roofing. Shingles and materials. We protect what matters most. And Mid-Atlantic Roofing Supply and Garner. A roofing supplier with a different approach. Submit your questions online at thecarolinacontractor.com and tune in next Saturday as we continue to help make your home great again. Everything under your roof is important, so make sure your roof is up to the job. For over 20 years, SureTop Roofing has been covering triangle homes and businesses. SureTop Roofing is certified with all of the major shingle manufacturers, providing a 50-year non-prorated warranty. SureTop Roofing has estimators, project managers, and design consultants on staff, guaranteeing superior service. Visit SureTopRoofing.com. SureTop Roofing has you covered.